Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, my name is Nathan and with my co-host as always, Glenn. How's it going, Glenn? Yeah, not too bad, Nathan. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. I guess uh, we're surviving um, lockdown 2.0 in, in Melbourne, which looks like there's been a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully we'll be uh, back back getting on with, uh, with normal life in no time. Yeah, fingers crossed. There's probably another few weeks to go, but any any loosening of restrictions probably a good thing at the moment yeah i think yeah we all are we all can't wait for that so um so on this uh on this week's episode glenn we we thought it'd be timely to have a bit of a, a chat about uh i guess kind of all things to do with with debt um you know many many people many australians many people in general will have will have a home loan will have you know debt of some sort whether it's investment debt you know credit card debt a car loan whatever it could be so yeah, we thought it'd be a good time to check in and uh, on, on this topic and have a bit of a, a discussion. Uh, also, with interest rates um, at record low levels, with um, you know the official cash rate in Australia is zero point two five percent. So, you know, most home loan rates, for example, are you know in the in the twos, like could be two and a half percent, for example. So, um, debt's as cheap as ever, um, and we thought it'd just be a timely discussion to have at the moment. So. Maybe to start off, Glenn, we will have a look at one of those uh, age-old questions of uh, should you go with a fixed or variable loan? Yeah, so look, you, Glenn. yeah look, it's always a real difficult one, isn't it? Because um, a lot of the time, I think the, the average Joe Blow on the street will look at the rates and say, well, you know, it, it might be worthwhile fixing rates in order to lock in my rate, lock in a great deal. But quite often, whenever we've looked at it, we've always been inclined to stay say to our clients, no, no, you're probably better off staying variable because normally the banks are looking at what the forward rates might be and, and they're setting their fixed term rates accordingly. Um, but at the moment, there's given where interest rates are, I suppose the question has to be, is there gonna be any further rate cuts? Maybe, maybe not. Um, if, you, if you're looking at a deal and it's a fantastic rate and it's, you know, and it's attractive to you and it gives you absolute certainty, maybe then you do lock in a rate. So I think it's always a really difficult question to answer, isn't it? I don't think there's a right or wrong per se, but having said that, if I look at where rates have been historically, um, given that we've been in a falling interest rate environment for over 10 years now, you would argue that the variable rates probably provided borrowers with a greater outcome than fixed. Um, would you agree with that, Nathan? I think maybe it's just the time because rates have fallen over that period of time. Yeah. Yeah, it always gets... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the point you said there is it just really depends. And I agree that generally, you know, I know I say I, I generally prefer variable. That's a general comment. But depending on the specifics of the situation and, and, and in some cases... Um, it makes sense for somebody to fix uh, their interest rate, and what you know, what we usually say is, if you just need absolute certainty of your repayments, yeah. well, you'll fix it. Um, and you know, for example, you might be fixing at a slightly higher level than the variable, depending on the interest rate environment. But sometimes that's just a you know a thing you're prepared to do because you could be you know your your finances or your cash flow could be pretty tight, so you just can't. Uh, afford an interest rate rise, which might not happen, but you just can't can't afford it. So yeah, and I think that's probably a, a good point in that. I mean, we'd probably never recommend people get themselves to a point where 
you know, things are really tight when they've bought a house or, or borrowed money for whatever purpose. But I think if you ask someone in that position, that's where you might consider a fixed rate because at least then when you're looking at your household budget, you know what your costs are and that mortgage repayment, which for a lot of people's probably the largest expense they've got within their monthly budget, at least when you're putting together your budget, you've got absolute certainty as to what your mortgage repayments are going to be because if things are really tight, what you don't want is as rates are increasing, um, you know, the affordability of that debt becomes really, really difficult and then you've got to compromise in other areas. So I think we're, we're both on the same page that we generally say, look, variable probably gives you, well, at least in the last 10 years, probably given you a better outcome, gives you a bit more flexibility as well, I think, Nathan. Like that's probably something we haven't, haven't spoken about that sometimes with fixed loans, you can't make additional repayments. So variable range loans just give you a lot more flexibility. But having said that, if you need absolute certainty, maybe you do want to fix part of your loan. And that's where probably leads into the best of both worlds, maybe a bit of a hybrid, Nathan, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, so so hybrid it would be would be fixing part of your loan, perhaps, and having part of your loan on on variable. Um, and yeah, bit of bit of can be a bit of best of both worlds if, if the situation commands that. Um, why why I like the thought of doing that is um, if somebody's adamant they want to fix part of their loan or fix their loan, I'll often say, well, what if you just keep a little bit of your loan variable? Because and the main reason for that is if you come into unexpected money, for example, or receive an inheritance or receive yeah. a pay rise, and all of a sudden you've got some ad additional. Um, money that you want to put towards your loan. Well, if it's all fixed, you can't do that. So that's generally why you might want to hedge your bets, so to speak, and have part fixed, part variable. But we think, you know, I, th I think there, there's pros and, and we've done a, a podcast on this a while back, but there's there's pros and cons of each. Um, we've kind of already discussed, I think, a few of the pros and cons. Um, you know, for example, variable, a lot of flexibility, fixed, you know, certainty, but more inflexible. Um, you know, there's a, a kind of a number of things that, that, that we can speak about, but, um, yeah, any other points on the, the kind of fixed V variable discussion, Glenn? Oh, I think on? while we're talking about rate, the one thing that I'd be encouraging people to do at the moment or at any time really is to challenge your bank about the rate that they're offering, um, yep. shop around it, it's a competitive landscape. You know, you may not have to necessarily switch. Um, lenders, but even just call your own bank and just say, look, what's, what's the best deal that I can get? I think you, you've always got to push the boundaries and see if you don't ask, you don't receive. So I think that at a bare minimum, even if you're not changing your current range from fixed to variable or whatever it may be, at least push your, your, your lenders about tightening their pencil a little bit um, with rate because every little percentage point adds up. If the average loan is if it's 20 to 30 years, if you can get, you know, 10, 20 basis points at a discount, you know, it might, it might seem small on a monthly basis, but over a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it can add up to a lot of money and, and it makes a big difference to helping you chip away at the principal of the loan and repaying the loan a lot quicker. Glenn, what are your thoughts, before we get off this kind of couple final questions, but what are your, what are your thoughts on fixing for a, an investment loan? Like, would that change, would that change your kind of view if it was an investment related loan? Um, good question. I mean, it's... Once again, I think it really depends on your personal situation. I mean, if, for example, you're, you, really, you are reliant on the income that's being generated by your investments to help fund the interest on the loan, then you might say, well, 
I do want to fix that rate because at least then I'm confident that I'm in a situation where I can meet the repayments because a lot of people are maybe in a situation where they can afford repaying the debt against their home, but then they're taking out debt for an investment and, and they're relying on the investment income to help them repay that debt. So arguably, it's probably a more stronger argument to fix that rate. But once again, I really do think it depends on what your individual situation is. If, if your cash flow is tight, maybe then you're, you're fixing. But if, if it's not and you've got more than sufficient cash flow to cover those investment loan repayments in the event that you don't get any income, then maybe you stay variable. But So I don't think it changes that much. I think really it is driven by your individual situation. Do you think people are more likely to fix their loan? And, and this is something um, we spoke about in a previous podcast, but um, a lot of people are looking into fixing their loans at the moment in terms of um, you know, inquiry for fixed loan yeah. is yeah. a lot higher. Do you, think, do you think people are, you know, given rates are so low, like we haven't seen rates this low. Like let's say 10 years ago, you know, you could have fixed the loan at seven or 8%. And even yeah. 30 years ago, you know, interest rates were in the teen, mid teens. But if you're fixing a rate at say 3%, which might be a bit higher than the standard variable, but do you think people are more, well, you know, you know what? That's so low. I'll, I'll lock that in for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably what's, what's encouraging people. I, I haven't done the, the research now. I don't know. I haven't got the analysis in front of me, but I'd like to see if there's ever been situations where you've beaten the bank. <laughs> like, I mean, we're not going to know until three years time, you know, if the rates are three, you know, if you're fixing rates for three or five years, you're not going to know if you're ahead or behind until that period of time. I think generally people are saying the rates are going to remain lower for longer. But if you're pretty, once again, personal preference, if you're happy with the rate you're getting, you think, look, this seems pretty good to, you know, almost too good. Maybe you do lock it in. It's just, it's a tough one. Yeah. Like, no like one all, where rates are going. Like all things it comes down to your, your, your specific circumstances. And we always, you know, the disclaimer, we always encourage you to seek advice on that. So, um, and last, before we get off this kind of somewhat linked to this um, topic is um, interest only or, or, or principal and interest, Glenn, any, any kind of comments? And clients will often ask that. So any, for, any comments for an on investment, that? For an investment? For an investment? Yeah, let, let's, I mean, yeah, generally a home loan, you'd go principal and interest generally. So let's, let's, let's say for an investment, yeah. Look, I think so it, it depends be- on what rate you're getting from the bank. I mean, banks have been very hesitant to offer interest-only loans. Um, and in the last couple of years, some banks have not even offered those. Um, so I think what you want to be looking at... Glenn, and just yeah. for the listener's benefit, can you what's, what's the background for why they're reluctant to offer interest-only loans to the banks? I suppose it's just it really comes off the... The, the, the regulate the review of regulations and lending criteria doesn't it from you know guidance yeah. from APRA yeah know, exactly right assets on their balance sheet and so forth so it, it is a regulatory thing that that's forced them into that area but I think if you're looking at let, let's just say your bank is offering you an interest only loan and giving you the option what I'd be encouraging people to look at is what's the rate because what I've seen with clients is that the interest rates on offer for interest-only loans have been quite a bit higher than what they are for principal and interest loans. And when you look at the interest payments on, with that higher interest rate, sometimes the, lo- the loan repayments are almost the same, if not marginally more, or sorry, marginally less, than if you're paying principal and interest. Because the banks are 
really encouraging borrowers to make principal and interest repayments so the interest rates are lower. So there may not be an incentive at all to go interest only. So I'd be looking at really assessing what's the interest rate comparison across both of those two options. And you might find that the repayments aren't that different. And if they're not, then you'd go principal and interest every day of the week. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. So definitely depends on the rate. And I've seen I've seen some clients where, you know, for example, they're on a they're on a um, interest only loan of say four and a half percent at the moment. Yeah. And yeah. they can and say they can they can go to a principal interest of say two and a half. So wow. I mean that two percent, you know, it depends on the loan amount, how much it is can have a can be a massive saving. And that's what um, I was saying. The repayments may not be that different. Like historically yeah. you've gone interest only so that it minimizes the impact on your cash flow, number one. Um, but secondly, from a wealth accumulation perspective, and even from a tax perspective, there's been no great incentive to reduce the principal on the loan of an investment because all that does is increase the amount of positive income because as you're repaying the principal on an investment loan, you're reducing the interest cost, which means that the income from your investment, if it stays the same, if you're reducing your interest cost, you get to a point where it's positively geared, where the income from your investment is greater than the interest. So if you keep paying, if you keep paying down the principal, that gap between income and interest widens, so your tax situation worsens. So that's generally why, from a tax perspective, your accountant might say, "Look, don't don't pay the principal because it's going to give you a tax problem." Um, but that might be different under this current sort of regime because the interest rate savings are quite substantial if you shift to a principal and interest loan. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the person's situation, especially if they've got yeah. other um, they've got other non deductible debt, they might want to focus on paying that down. They'll often keep their investment loan high or you know not not focus on repaying the capital down but now with the the landscape and interest rates um being so much lower on those principal and interest i've seen many clients where they're it's kind of forced their hand well i'm going to move my investment loan to principal and interest i know that i know i lose a bit of the tax benefit as i pay down the principal but you know the interest rate saving just commands that i do that so um Okay, so that's kind of um, the discussion we wanted to have on kind of fixed and variable and we kind of moved on to the principal um, and interest or interest only discussion. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a quick chat about kind of interest rates, which we touched on a moment ago. And, and you know, as a, a bit of a disclaimer, I mean, we, we've, we've spoken about previously how difficult, difficult it can be to, to predict the direction of um, you know, not only interest rates, but a lot of other things like currency and equity markets and things like that. But I mean, interest rates are very difficult to predict. And, um, you know, I mentioned before, we're pretty much, you know, record levels kind of around the world, really, like in most developed markets, Australia are at record lows. Um, it's hard to kind of know. I mean, it can probably only go one way, we'd like to think. I mean, they can't really go much lower, but kind of any, any observations from you, Glenn, on kind of where interest oh, rates might sit in the next few years? I mean, this is just a general sort of thought. And as, as we always say, at, at the end of the podcast, you need to seek advice. We're not giving a, you know any recommendations here. But if you wanted me to stick my neck out, I'd be saying that rates aren't going anywhere <laughs> for at least a couple of years. If you just look at the environment, not only in Australia, but around the world, there's a, there's a lot of economic challenges. Um, I, I think I think even the RBAs pretty much come out and said that rates probably are very unlikely to be increased anytime soon. 
Um, and look, with where the economy is at right now, if we're talking about Australia, I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a recession. You can't see rates increasing at least for the next 12 months and possibly two years. That's just my gut feel. I, I don't know, but because you never know what's around the corner. No one was talking about a global pandemic this time a year ago. So anything can change and things can change very, very quickly. But look, inflation's really, really low. Economic growth is, is definitely going to be low, if not non-existent. Um, so look, I, I can't see rates going up anytime soon. That's for sure. Have, what, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with uh, uh, what's going to drive them up, and you just touched on inflation's low. That that's not that usually puts upward pressure on interest rates when inflation's running high. It's not, um, and GDP or the you know the the growth of the economy is 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 not going is not going gangbusters. So that won't push and the property it, push market's weak. Yeah, the property and, market's weak too, Nathan. So yeah, and and the other point I was just going to make was. Uh, unemployment being high as well. So the, those factors, it's yeah. hard to see a catalyst driving interest rates high. So even even before COVID hit, you know, my view was like, I can't say interest rates spiking up anytime soon. And in particular with, with the COVID impact as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is just my view. I, I don't know. And they can really catch people out interest rates. But um, and sorry, you're, you're mentioning something about property, Glenn. Yeah, I mean, what one of the, there hasn't been a lot of general inflation, but there, I think there has been some concern with, or in the past with the, the, the rapid growth in property prices in parts of Australia. And I, I think now with the slowdown in immigration, population growth, that, that sort of demand may not be there. So I think that may take care of itself on the property side of things as well. I'm not saying there's going to be a collapse, but we're probably not going to get the same growth that's really going to concern uh, the RBA. So that once again, that's where I think rates may stay lower for longer. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of, I mean, a lot of people on that point, a lot of people were were worried that you know interest rates coming down so far was going to really spur on the property market to levels that you know unaffordable for a lot of the yeah. population. But um, yeah, with um with 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 what's going on, who knows that might might change the situation. But um, okay, so uh, the only thing I was going to say with relation to interest rates, Nathan. Well, we're talking, maybe we're going to talk about this anyway, but yes, I think both of us agree that rates are going to remain lower for longer. We don't know how long, but let's just say at least for the next couple of years. Um, I think as an advisor, this is what I'll be saying to people. Now is a great opportunity to really, you know, focus on repaying that debt as quickly as you can because a big chunk of your repayments is, is actually now going to be principal versus interest. So, you know, it's a great opportunity, probably the best opportunity that a lot of borrowers have ever had to really focus on repaying debt. Um, and yes, I understand there's a lot of people out there that may have seen their incomes reduce or, or lost their jobs. But for those who have been able to keep their jobs um, and maintain their level of employment income, having spoken to a lot of clients, they're seeing that their incomes, that, that their expenses are down. You know, you're not being able to go out, you can't travel. You know, instead of soaking that money up somewhere else, put it towards your mortgage, put it in your offset account, you know, put it to use because it's, it's times like this where, you, you know, as they say, when there's make, make, make hay while the sun shine, I think it's a great opportunity now to really focus your efforts on repaying debt. And, and I think you'll be rewarded for that because historically, when you first take out a loan and you're making those repayments, you don't see your loan go anywhere. You know, I think 
90% plus of your repayments or interest. But now if you can really focus on it, you can see big chunks coming out of your mortgage as well, which is really, really yeah, I mean, important. good points. And I, I absolutely agree. And just as you're talking, I just got me thinking, do you wonder if people are borrowing more because they can borrow like when they you know, go to a mortgage broker or go to the bank and their, their interest rates lower, their borrowing power is higher. Do you yeah. think people might just kind of borrow more so they're not actually knocking off as much capital as they would have if they had a smaller loan, even oh. though the rates are lower? Does that make sense what I said there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, look, as, as advisors, we're, we're probably very focused on the numbers and you know, we, we've had just you know, personal chats about repaying debt and, and because we're in this, in this industry, we're probably pretty hard and disciplined about it, but most people are you know, pretty comfortable borrowing as much as they can just repaying it over a 30 year period. So I think you're right, Nathan, you know, the, when rates are low, I, I think if you want to be financially prudent, you, it's probably not a good idea to borrow your absolute maximum. Um, I, I generally say to clients, look, try and have a home loan that is manageable to repay over like 15 years, you know, based on current repayments. Don't, and maybe that's, that's setting a bar too high or too low, but yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think you should set out to have a loan term of 30 years because all you're doing is just making the bank rich. So try and set your repayments at a, at a level that you can repay your home loan within that 50-year time frame. And if you're taking a mortgage out, you know, at 30, 35, at least that gets you to an age where you've got enough time to then focus on asset accumulation for retirement. That's sort of my personal philosophy and view when it comes to how much you should borrow and how much you should repay. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, it makes such a big difference to um, the repayment of capital. So off your loan. So like, for example, if you if you took out a loan, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago when interest rates were maybe, I don't know, 6%, for example, and now you're getting one at like close to just a little bit over two. Let's say you took a million dollar loan and your interest, interest part of the repayments was 60,000 a year when it was 6%. Well, now on 2%, it might be 20 or 25,000. That that difference for thirty-five, forty $40,000 is going to, to repay the principal of the loan. So long as people are maintaining their repayments, yeah, and that's probably the other piece of advice. As rates fall, yeah. don't reduce your repayments. Keep them at the higher level. Yeah, so people do the right thing and, and keep the repayments at the, at the same level. And, and you, you know, extrapolate that over 10 years, that's 350000 $400,000. It makes a massive difference. But what I, what I, I'm not going to say fear, but what I think people are doing is um, they've just got the ability to borrow more and maybe as prices have got, you know, obviously prices have gone up as well, depending on the location, but where we are, yeah. say prices have gone up. So you, you need to borrow more. So there's a few moving parts there, but interesting yeah. discussion anyway. Yeah. Um, so now the, the kind of the next part of the, this podcast we want to talk about was that whole topic of um, do you repay, repay debt or invest? So just to set the scene, Glenn, um, you know, let, let's assume um, you've got you've got a loan, and you know it might be a home loan or an investment loan, and maybe we'll run through a scenario. But you've got a home loan, and all of a sudden you've got you know you've got a little bit of um, I, I guess whether it's a bit of cash that you you know you've got or you've saved up or you've got a savings capacity. Um, I know this is a bit of a loaded question. There's a few moving parts, but we'll, and we'll dissect it perhaps a little bit. But are you best to with that extra money you have to repay debt, Glenn, or, or invest it? Well, historically, as advisors, we'd be saying it, what you need to look at is what return do I need to get from my investments to beat 
my home loan interest rate. So that's the comparison you need to make. But as we all know, when you invest, you pay tax on the earnings. So for example, if you look at the long-term interest rate, let's just say it's 7%, um, and let's just say your tax rate's 30%, well, the investments that you buy would have to generate a gross return of 10% per annum because then the net return of 7% matches your home loan. So historically, as advisors, if we're looking at the long-term interest rate, we'd be saying, look, you're better off repaying debt because it's giving you a guaranteed return with no investment risk. Um, but I suppose the challenge to that advice in this current environment is that with rates so low, the hurdle required to beat paying, the hurdle required from your investments to match repaying your loan is a lot less, isn't it? So if you're looking at mortgage rates of 3%, arguably your investments only need to generate a return of 5 to 6% to beat paying off your home loan. And a lot of people out there might say, well, gee, that's not such a, a, a big hurdle. Maybe instead of paying chunks off my home loan, I'm going to get my capital and invest that because I think I can do better than 6 or 7% per annum. Hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are you... What are you saying to clients at the moment, Nathan? Is, is it, obviously it's horses for courses, but it's, it's really testing the, the, uh, the tradition in, in a lot of ways for what advice we generally say to people, isn't it? Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, yeah, lower interest rate, the, re the required rate of return on your investments comes down. So um, yeah, look, similar, yeah, similar line of thinking. Um, obviously, a thing that always comes up is is it is it non-deductible debt like your home loan or deductible debt and yeah. like an investment loan and if it's if it's your home loan non-deductible debt i mean we we often spoke we often speak about that that kind of concept of the, the guaranteed return and um you know using those figures you just said then glenn if you need you need five or six percent to kind of do better than you know pay, paying down your loan well well, maybe, you know, maybe you take that because it's guaranteed. I know it's not, it might be beatable. I mean, you might be able to invest in something you can get 10, but yeah. there's a bit of an unknown there whether you'll get that. Um, yeah. So it's kind of and a concept of guaranteed return that we often speak about. It is. And, and look, I suppose it's important for people to understand that generally in a lower interest rate environment, returns are lower as well. So historically, you might have got your 10% per annum, but in a low interest rate environment, generally returns are lower. The other part to this, which you need to get advice about, is that in, it may not necessarily be a comparison of repaying debt or investing the cash. The best outcome that may give you the best of both worlds is to use that cash to repay your loan and then redraw it to invest. So you're basically re-borrowing those funds again. The advantage being that the purpose of that debt is now for an investment, which you can then get, get a deduction for the interest. So if you get the right advice, this is where the value of the advice is really, really important. You can structure your affairs so that your net asset position is the same, but what you're doing is you're changing the, the, the overall structure of your debt and some of that debt's now deductible versus it all being non-deductible. And, and now uh, the rate of return is even lower because you're getting a deduction for the interest. Yeah, yeah. So important to seek advice because if you, if you have a sum of money, before you just go out and invest it, you need to consider things like that. And maybe, yeah, you can put it on the loan in, in the offset account and then like, re or redraw for investment purposes. The other, the other really important thing that, you know, we, we would encourage anybody to think about before they, they borrow to invest is to understand the level of risk because 
you know, if you are using borrowed money to invest, you know, you are kind of upping the risk um, where, you know, let's say you borrow, you know, a sum of money to invest in, in assets, could be shares, could be a property. Um, you still owe the bank that money and they can go down in value in the short term or, uh, you know, they can go down full stop, I guess, depending on the quality of the investment. So you need to understand the risk. But the other thing that I also like to think about is at what everyone's situation is different, but at what time of your, of your, of your uh, situation, I guess, is the right time to in, to borrow, to invest. And like, for example, um, we, we like to use the old simple example. Let's say you, you go and buy a million dollar property um, and you start out with a, you know, a loan of eight hundred, eight or eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. So you don't really have a lot of capacity to go back to the bank and say, "Oh, hey, I want to, I want to borrow a bit more money," because you kind of already maxed out in terms of your loan to value ratio. But at what point do you like as you over the years you pay down your loan? Um, let's say you get your loan down to I don't know five hundred thousand, which and assuming the house is still worth a million dollars, just to keep it simple, that means your loan to value ratio has gone down to fifty percent. Like, would that be a good time to? to go back to the bank and borrow a bit of money to invest? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Glenn? Yeah, I think it really depends on the value of the home, um, the level of income that, that you have. Um, but I think as a general rule, you just want to be in a comfortable enough position that if your property reduced in value, you weren't left with negative equity because that's probably the risk that you can take that if, if you over leverage yourself, like you just, you know, if you're at 80%, you borrow a bit more and you all, if you're always at that 80, 90%, um, I think it just exposes you to, uh, exposes you to a little bit of risk that if the property falls, you may not have any equity in your property. And then the investments that you've bought with that borrowed money could fall. Um, I think you're just going to be conscious of those things in the short term. Um, so I'm probably leaning towards more conservative or if it was that example you were talking about with a million dollar property, maybe when the debt gets down to half a million, you can, if you go out and then you borrow another $200,000, you've still got that 30% buffer. I mean, back of the envelope type calculations, but I think it's, it's horses for courses. But with that example, that's probably what I'd be having a discussion with people about, maybe that 50% loan to value. But if it's a $2 million property, maybe it's different. If it's a smaller value property, maybe it's different again. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, look, of course. Like, my, my thoughts are... Um, yeah, it's very, you know, specific to the client situation and their attitude towards risk and their tolerance towards risk. But if there, I mean, that example I spoke about was if somebody has, uh, you know, equity in a home. Because, I mean, the great thing about having a home, you can, you can put it up as collateral and borrow yeah. more against it. Um, the, for people that don't have a loan and want to, you know, borrow to invest, um, you know, off, another, you know, people may have heard the, you know, the, the, the concept of margin lending where you can, you can purchase shares and those shares are offered up as security and a, a lender will lend money uh, against those shares. But you've got to be, you've got to go into that, that strategy with your eyes wide open because there is, there is a thing called a margin call if the value of the shares go down. And if you cop a margin call, you've got to front up cash and you need to have that cash. So, um, you know, there's different ways you can do it. We haven't kind of spent too much time going into the, the detail of that, but um, there are just a couple of ways you can kind of, you can kind of borrow to, to access in types of investments. And I think that's where Nathan, with, with one sort of comment I'll leave with people about, you know, considering borrowing to invest, it's, it's always put you in a self in a position of worst case scenario. It's, it's the what if situation. What if 
uh, the property falls in value? What if, um, you know, my investments fall in value? You know, it, it's making sure that you're protected under all those sort of worst case scenarios. But just on borrowing to invest, Glenn, I feel like maybe we didn't, as we started talking about this, we didn't kind of explain like why, why would you do it? I mean, because if, if done right, borrowing to invest can be a really um, yeah. you know, good way to, to build wealth. It's, it's using someone else's money, let's say the bank's money in most situations, to invest your money in good quality assets and grow that money and compound the growth on that money. Yeah. Um, and then you're in a better position. You've created more wealth. You've got, you've got that kind of capital to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of, that's kind of why I just think I feel like we glossed over that at the start. Yeah, I mean, it, the simple fact is it brings forward your investment time horizon, doesn't it? And if let's just assume you've just paid off your home loan and you can save twenty grand a year, um, your options are you save that twenty grand a year, and you, let's just say you get ten percent in year one, year two, you're getting two grand a year, compared to saying, well, let's use the equity I've got in my million dollar property, let, let's borrow half a million dollars. If you're getting ten percent on that half a million. You're now making 50 grand a year. So at the end of the year, your 500 is worth 550, but you still owe the bank 500. So as you were saying, you can use someone else's money to accumulate your own wealth, but it enables you to invest with, with a larger amount of capital, which means that the percentage return you get in dollar terms is a lot higher um, and, and enables you to invest sooner as opposed to waiting until you can perhaps save enough money to buy an investment property. If you can buy it today, then you're buying the prices today, not the prices in 10 years. Yeah. And, and there's many, yeah, there's many different ways you can do it. There's, you know, borrowing to go into shares, there's borrowing to buy an investment property. There's, um, you know, margin loans I spoke about. There's um, a thing called installment warrants where you can buy, um, you, you know, there's structured products where you can buy listed investments that have gearing in built into them or, or debt in built into them. So, so there's many, there's many ways you can do it. If you are, you know, seriously considering, Borrowing to invest, we yeah, strongly encourage you to um, seek advice because if done wrongly, it can get you into trouble. Um, any final comments, Glenn, before we wrap up? No, I think as we've been saying, Nathan, the, 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 part, the, the, the last sort of comments would be challenge your bank about rate. I think there's always deals to be, to be had and made in this current environment. Work as hard as you can. If, you're, if your expenses are down and you're earning the same rate of income, use these low interest rates to chip away as much as you can um, from your from your home loan, maybe consider investing now. Interest rates are low. It's a good time to you know to borrow for investment purposes. So long as you've got that long term investment time frame, you've got the right risk management in place. Of course, seek advice. Um, and as always, with any strategy you seek to undertake, yes, consider what the positives are, but also consider how you're going to protect yourself in the event that things don't go to plan. Yeah, yeah, no, that's some good, some good kind of closing comments. And um, I mean, I just wanted to point out one last point I wanted to kind of leave, leave, leave listeners with was interest rates at the moment are extremely low. I mean, only 30 years ago, you know, Australians saw, saw kind of bank interest rates in the kind of mid teens. So, you know, make the most of it. If you've got a loan, um, you know, work, work hard to, to repay that debt because as soon as you repay the debt, you know, that that money that's going towards interest can be going towards other wealth creation um, strategies. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, today we spoke about, you know, the whole, everything about debt, about whether you, know, you should have a fixed or variable um, interest rate. Um, spoke a little bit about the direction of interest rates, where they, they could go. Um, and then 
spend a bit of time talking about the concept of whether you should repay repay debt or borrow to invest. Um, so thank you once again for listening and look forward to having you on the show next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.